Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I am your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, the man who calls it right down the middle, Dion Tyree Gordon. Enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work. NBA playoffs, Western Conference playoffs. I'm going to break it down like this. I'm going to talk about the Western Conference playoffs on this podcast, then do another one talking about the Eastern Conference playoffs and go from there because, quite frankly, it's too much to talk about for just one podcast. So I'm going to split things up. The Western Conference today, Eastern Conference tomorrow. Let's get down to it. No time wasted, no bullshit. Stop beating around the bush. Let's get right down to the nitty-gritty. Let's get right to the meat and the potatoes. In the Western Conference, you have the number one seed, Denver Nuggets, taking on the number eight seed, Minnesota Timberwolves, the number two seed, Memphis Grizzlies, and the seventh seed, my beloved Los Angeles Lakers, your three seed, the surprising Sacramento Kings, coming out of nowhere, making the playoffs for the first time since the Kennedy assassination, and then your four seed, Phoenix Suns, going up against the five seed, LA Clippers. I'm going to talk about my favorite team first. I'm going to talk about the the Lakers, and the Grizzlies. I'm going to start by saying this. I'm a wrestling fan. The last two podcasts I did, talking about wrestling, recapping WrestleMania. I'm a fan of bombastic personalities, of charisma, of people talking shit, of people trying to sell a fight. I'm a fan of storylines. I'm a fan of perpetuating a heel versus face dynamic, as they would say in wrestling, or in regular terms, an antagonist versus your protagonist, a good guy versus the bad guy. I'm a fan of all those things. Sports can sometimes get boring. You need an adversarial entity. You need someone that everyone universally hates and can't stands, loathes, and detests. That guy plays for the other team. That guy talks a bunch of shit about my team and my city. That guy is disrespectful. That guy is arrogant, braggadocious, over the top. He's a douchebag. You wish nothing but the worst to that guy. You want to see that guy lose. You want to see that guy fail. You're going to pay good, hard-earned money to see that guy get his comeuppance, to see that guy or girl get their ass kicked. You want to see that. That's what sports is all about. The rivalries, the storylines, the shit-talking, the people creating a controversy. Any group of guys can go out to a gym or a playground and play basketball, but you sit down to watch the NBA playoffs because you want to see the best of the best go against each other, and it also it doesn't hurt if some guy is talking shit about another guy, if one guy publicly calls out another guy, if one guy goes into business for himself and says, I'm the best player, I'm number one, I'm the best in the world, I'm the HNIC, no one in this league is on my level, I'm the Dundada, I'm the man, no one can fuck with me. That helps, that helps sell the sport, that generates ratings and revenue, attendance numbers, publicity, attention, these are all good things. Sports is about, professional sports is all about making money. I say all that to say this, Dylan Brooks of the Memphis Grizzlies, went into business for himself last week. He's done this quite often throughout his NBA career. Dylan Brooks is a middling, below-average, basic, hardworking basketball player who doesn't have the most talent, not the most athletically gifted guy you're ever going to see. He's in the NBA for specific reasons. His defensive prowess 
and how hard-nosed and gritty he is and being an irritant, being a pest, being annoying, being the heel. If this was professional wrestling, he's the heel. He's the bad guy. You root against him. You want to see him get his comeuppance. Last week, he went into business for himself after a Game 2 victory against the L.A. Lakers, stood there in the locker room, dressed the way he was dressed, button-up shirt that wasn't all the way buttoned up, sunglasses, despite the fact that he's indoors in the locker room with the lights turned on, looking very arrogant, looking like a WWE heel. He looked like he belonged on SmackDown, standing in the ring, talking shit to Cody Rhodes. That's the way he looked. That's the way he portrays himself. I'm not even mad about it. It is what it is. As I said, I'm a wrestling fan. I get it. I understand it. If you're Dylan Brooks, no one talks about you unless you do this type of shit. Unless you are this arrogant and braggadocious and over the top and ridiculous in your presentation and your words and your antics, unless you do all these things, no one is really going to talk about you. So I understand it. Not even upset about it in the very least. Dylan Brooks, with a microphone to his face, proceeded to say, when asked about LeBron James, he's old. I'm not afraid of him. He's an old man. I don't mind poking bears. I don't respect anyone until they give me 40. That's what he said, word for word, verbatim, the words that came out of his own mouth. He said, I don't respect anyone until they give me 40. LeBron James, old man. He doesn't matter, completely ineffectual, completely feckless, irrelevant, doesn't matter. We just, we just beat him. We had just won game two. So now Dylan Brooks is feeling good about himself. Cuts a promo, gets people talking. Everyone goes ballistic about it. Oh, I can't believe what Dylan Brooks just said. You're not paying attention. This is who he is. Cut from the same cloth as Dennis Rodman, Draymond Green, Patrick Beverly, Vernon Maxwell from back in the day, Dylan Brooks took a page out their playbook trying to promote himself, trying to make a name for himself. But see, here's the problem. When you talk that way, you got to back it up. You got to show and prove. You got to step on that court. You got to perform. You can't show up the next game when you're being ridiculed and derided and just shitted on by that crowd at Crypto.com. I'm sorry, Staples Center, goddammit. Fuck that new name, Staples Center. When you got 20,000 people booing you during pregame warm-ups, during the shoot-around, people showed up not only to watch the game, but also to hate you. You did it, Dylan. Congratulations. You did it. You got attention. You got the focus. The spotlight is on you, my friend. Now you got to perform. That's the, other, that's the other end of the whole spectrum. You got to perform. You got to show and prove. You got to be a great player. You got to back up all these words. What you can't do is go three for 13, score seven points, and at the end of the first quarter, in the game following you calling out a top three basketball player of all time, in the immediate aftermath of you publicly disrespecting the NBA's all-time leading scorer and a four-time champion and a man as accomplished as, Le as LeBron James. When you, when you do all that, when you say all that, you can't go three for 13, seven points, and be down 
35 to 9 at the end of the first quarter, and your team loses 111 to 101. And oh, by the way, in the third quarter of that game, you get ejected for punching LeBron James in the nuts. Listen, Dylan Brooks, we all hated Space Jam too, but that doesn't give you the right to go out there and punch LeBron James in the nuts in the middle of a basketball game and then get ejected. Embarrassing. Dylan Brooks looks like a clown for a lot of reasons. I don't care if you say the things that you say. Even if you're talking shit about my team, I don't care. It's sports. It's entertainment. I get it. You got to make you got to make money. You got to make a name for yourself. But you got to back it up, man. You're going to talk that shit. You got to back it up. One of my favorite football players of all time was Terrell Owens. T.O. had a lot of antics, talked a lot of shit, did and said a lot of controversial things that a lot of people didn't like and didn't care for. But you know what Terrell Owens did when it was time to play football and show up between those white lines? Terrell Owens played at a very high level, at a very consistent high level. A Hall of Fame wide receiver, so he can talk shit, he can back it up. Muhammad Ali, the greatest fighter of all time. 56 career wins, five career losses, never once got knocked out, even though he fought about four or five times after being diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. He never got knocked out. Muhammad Ali talked a lot of shit, and Muhammad Ali backed it up all the time, pretty much. Dylan Brooks, you are nowhere close to being Terrell Owens, and certainly not in the same stratosphere as the greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali. But... You're made for compelling television. A lot of people tune into this game to see, is LeBron going to take it personal? Is LeBron going to come out firing and try to score 40 points on this guy and prove a point? Before the game even starts, LeBron goes up to Dylan Brooks and they have a conversation. No one knows what was said or who said what. But still, you can see LeBron was somewhat affected by what Dylan Brooks said. How could you not be as a man how could you not take that personal? This motherfucker flat out said, I don't respect him until he gives me 40. The NBA's all-time leading scorer of all the men who've played NBA basketball, LeBron James has scored more points than all of them. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bean, the late great Kobe Bean Bryant, Carl Malone, Kevin Durant, Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, Larry Bird, Hakeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, the list goes on and on. All these great, legendary, all-time great players, and LeBron has outscored all of them. And yet, you have a guy who has 5,092 career points saying, I don't respect you. LeBron can downplay it publicly all he wants to. He can try to be the elder statesman. But let's be serious. Let's be realistic. When another man calls you out publicly, you got to accept that challenge. And you know it gets under your skin. I know for, I, mean, I don't know for a fact. I don't, I don't know LeBron personally, so I can't say. But, I mean, just based off the optics, it probably did piss him off a little bit. I mean, all you had to do was sit down and watch game three and watch how that game began. LeBron came out aggressive, a sense of urgency, looking for his shot. Whereas in game two, he came out passive, nonchalant, not aggressive. Game three, after Dylan Brooks said what he said, and after the Lakers lost game two, you saw a different LeBron. 
it looked like he was trying to put 40 on Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks looked like he was trying to answer his own challenge. He came out gunning. He came out firing in game three and missed like six consecutive shots. That's not his game. That's not who he is. It looks like to me, Dylan Brooks got caught up in his own mix. And this, this is a bigger widespread problem for the Memphis Grizzlies. They're a, they're a good team, obviously. The number two seed in the Western Conference, but they're very much immature. And they sorely lack that strong veteran presence in the locker room. Memphis needs a guy like Udonis Haslam, Andre Iguodala, Derrick Rose, some kind of grizzled veteran that's done a lot in the NBA, but right now currently is at the very end and may or may not or probably should just retire and walk away peacefully. They need a guy like that in the locker room to facilitate things, to take someone like John Morant or Dylan Brooks under their wing and say, hey, this is the correct and proper way to do things in this league. I'm going to teach you how to be a professional. I'm going to show you right from wrong. You don't want to piss off a legendary player. You don't want to piss off his team. It was said during the broadcast that a lot of guys on the Lakers took what Dylan Brooks said personally about them because they felt like if you're going to talk about LeBron that way in public, if you show that lack of respect for LeBron James, then what do you think about Jared Vanderbilt or Rui Hachimura? What do you think about Austin Reeves? What do you have to say about even Anthony Davis? Because there's no one else on the Lakers roster that's on the same level of LeBron as far as stature and clout is concerned, as far as relevancy is concerned. He's the biggest star in the NBA. He's the number one guy in the sport right now, even at 38 years old. So if Dylan Brooks can call him out publicly and show an overall lack of respect to LeBron, then shit, what does he have to what does he have to say about the rest of the men on the LA Lakers roster? They came out in game three. I'm talking about the Lakers as a team, as a collective. They came out with a purpose, with a sense of urgency. It looked like they took it personal. It looked like it mattered. Game two in Memphis, different story. The entire team looked passive. Game three, they looked like sharks in the water who smelled blood. They looked like they were trying to kill something. Most notably, Anthony Davis, AD, the much maligned Anthony Davis. And he's been maligned by me on a number of occasions. I've Every time I watch the Lakers play, there's a point during the game where I'm screaming at my television, AD, do something. AD, be aggressive. AD, assert yourself. AD, you got the mismatch. Kill this motherfucker. What are you waiting on? You're 6'11". You're highly skilled. You have a repertoire. You have a bag, as the kids might say. You're one of the best and most skilled players in the NBA on both sides of the court, offensively, defensively, rebounding, all that. You were brought to L.A. for a specific purpose, for you to one day assume the title of being the number one guy on the Lakers as LeBron gets older. We don't see it enough. We don't see it that often. We saw it in game three. Game three was the Anthony Davis that I want to see consistently. He looked aggressive. He looked assertive. He looked like he was ready to kill something. That's all I ask. You got all this ability. You got to play like it. A lot of times, too often, Anthony Davis plays down to his competition and just doesn't 
do what I think a guy of his skill set and ability should be doing on a regular basis. I go back to game two again. There was a point late in the game. He didn't play well in game two. Desmond Bain, who's six feet five inches tall, was out muscling Anthony Davis, who's six feet ten inches tall, in the paint when AD is trying to get position. And Desmond Bain is moving this guy around like furniture, controlling him. He had him in jail. And I'm watching it, and I'm getting frustrated because, like I said, you're Anthony Davis. On a good day, you're a top five player in the NBA, supremely talented, athletically gifted. You got all the tools necessary, and here you are getting pushed around by a guy five inches shorter than you. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Game three. That didn't happen. Game three, we got the Anthony Davis we all want to see as Laker fans. In game three, Anthony Davis had 31 points on 11 of 24 shooting, 17 rebounds, and three block shots. Perfect. Awesome. That's what we want. That's what we're asking for as Laker fans. We know you're capable. We know you have the ability to do this. Apply yourself, be aggressive, be assertive. Don't wait for the game to come to you. You come out there and take the game over. Memphis is missing two of their big men, Steven Adams and Brandon Clark, gone for the series, gone for the rest of the season. You got Jaron Jackson, okay, pretty good player, defensive player of the year, candidate, but you're Anthony Davis. You're better than him. You just got to play like it. You just have to show it. Uh, but Anthony Davis, AD, was amazing in game three. He was awesome. I was very pleased, very happy with what I saw in game three. I was also very happy with the overall defensive intensity displayed by the L.A. Lakers. They took it personal. They showed up as a team, as a collective. They played strong defense Obviously, if you hold your opposition to nine points in the first quarter, that's 2,000 Ravens caliber defense. That's 85 Bears. That's 02 Buccaneers. That's 2013 Seahawks. That's 2015 Denver Broncos caliber defense on a basketball court. You can't ask for much better than that. That's pretty much, that's like, that's the football equivalent of pitching a shutout. When you hold a team to nine points in the first quarter, I mean, you're not going to get that every game, but to get that in one game, in a game, you pretty much, I think, had to win. I thought game three was a very important game. This was the first playoff game at Staples Center, the correct name, at Staples Center that had people at the game with a full capacity crowd in a long time. The first time in the LeBron AD era that they played in front of a capacity crowd. Remember, the pandemic fucked up everything for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. But, you know, 2020, the Lakers go down to Orlando and play in the bubble and that fraudulent championship tournament, whatever it was, the George Floyd, Disney on Ice, Black Lives Matter, sponsored by COVID-19, pandemic, the world in shambles championship. So obviously you're not playing at Staples Center in front of a home crowd. And then 2021, it was a limited amount of people that were allowed to come to the games, and we lost in the first round to Phoenix anyway. Last year, you don't even make the playoffs. So this year, 
You made the playoffs. Everything's back to normal. The first time you had a full building, a full capacity crowd for a Laker playoff game featuring Anthony Davis and LeBron James, and everyone responded accordingly. The stars, the role players, everyone came to work. D'Angelo Russell also struggled mightily the first two games, did not play well at all. He still has some moments of questionable decision-making and dribbling in the double teams and missing shots. But overall, a much better effort and performance in Game 3 for my man D'Lo Russell than it was for Games 1 and 2. In Game 3, D'Angelo Russell shot 5 of 14 from the field for 17 points and 7 rebounds. I thought he played well down the stretch. We're going to need him. If the Lakers are going to go far... And they have an opportunity to go far. Let's not kid ourselves. The Western Conference is not that is not that strong as far as I'm concerned. There's no juggernauts in the Western Conference. There's no team you just go ahead and automatically pencil in for a finals appearance. There's no 2017 Golden State Warriors in this Western Conference playoffs. Denver's your number one seed. I don't believe in them. I just don't. They haven't done it before. It's a show and prove kind of thing to me for Denver. But overall in the playoffs, I just don't believe in them long term. And then, I mean, you're currently playing the number the number two seed and you're up 2-1 on them. And they're missing two of their big men in the paint. And John Morant's compromised with a bad hand. Even though John went ballistic in the fourth quarter of this game. John had 22 consecutive points at one point of the game in the fourth quarter. And finished with 45 points, even though he had the injured hand that he fucked up in game one. John Moran didn't even play in game two, and Memphis won without him anyway. But I don't think Memphis is that good. I think I think the Lakers can beat Memphis in this round. Uh, your three seeds, Sacramento, they got a fight going on right now against Golden State. And they're mostly, they're predominantly, exclusively inexperienced. They have no one on their roster that's, well, except for Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes is the only guy on their roster that's been here and done that before. Everyone else, brand new to this. Their first time in the playoffs. The 4-5 matchup, Phoenix and the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers are already depleted anyway, minus Paul George and now minus Kawhi Leonard. They're down 3-1 pretty much on the way out. You got Phoenix as the number four seed. They could be in the way, but at the same time, they got a lot of combustible components as far as like guys that could and probably will, unfortunately, I hate to say it, physically break down and not make it all the way. You could say the same thing about LeBron and AD, but I'm not 100% sold on the Phoenix Suns. They have no bench to speak of. If they're going to go all the way, they're going to need KD, CP3, Booker, and DeAndre Ayton to play about 40 minutes a game every game from now until June. I don't know how feasible that is. So, yeah, this is not just being a homer. This is not just being a fan talking. Maybe it is. I feel like the Lakers have a possibility, a realistic possibility to go all the way. They can get to the finals this season. I mean, you're also talking about a potential matchup next round versus Golden State. I got respect for Golden State. Unlimited respect for the Warriors. Your defending, reigning, conquering champion, Golden State Warriors. Championship pedigree. That was on full display in their game yesterday versus Sacramento. 
I'm a Steph Curry fan. That's my favorite player in the NBA. Those guys are awesome. I love, respect, and appreciate the way they play basketball in Golden State. It is beautiful to watch. It is basketball nirvana. It is the correct and proper way the sport is supposed to be played. Even though I'm a Laker fan, I have no ill will, no animosity at all towards the Golden State Warriors. With that being said, they're not that big up front, and they struggle on the road all season long. I'm not afraid of them either. So this this could be biased. This could be a Homer Laker fan talking, but fuck it. I feel like this team is good enough to get to the NBA Finals. I don't know if they can win it, but I do think the Lakers are good enough to get to June because, as I said, I don't see a clear, definitive, juggernaut, upper echelon, superior basketball team in the Western Conference that I really feel like I should be afraid of as a fan. I don't see an 86 Boston Celtics. I don't see an 89 Pistons. I don't see a 92 or 96 Bulls. I don't see a 95 Houston Rockets. I don't see a 2001 LA Lakers. I don't see a 2008 Celtics. I don't see a 2013 Miami Heat or a 2017 Golden State Warriors team that had Kevin Durant on it. I don't see anything close to that in the Western Conference. So who's to say the Lakers can't go all the way? It remains to be seen, but... Got to take care of business in this round first, and I, I have confidence the Lakers will do that because Memphis is injury depleted. There's an experience factor. There's a maturity factor at play here, and the Lakers, to me, you got to go back to midseason or at the All-Star break. Rob Palenka deserves all the credit in the world for revamping this roster, making the moves, making the deals necessary to replenish the roster and build it up to what it is now. Before those moves were made, this was a a hodgepodge group of guys thrown together, a a poorly constructed mix of players that did not complement each other in the least. But Rob Palenka does his job and goes out and gets Rui Hachimura from the Washington Wizards. You get Jared Vanderbilt. You bring in D'Angelo Russell, who now gives you perimeter scoring and outside perimeter shooting and floor spacing and another ball handler. You bring in Malik Beasley, even though he's been relegated to the bench because of poor perimeter shooting. But still, overall, the roster improved, and here we are in the playoffs with, to me, a realistic, legitimate shot of getting to the NBA Finals because of the moves made by Rob Palenka at the trade deadline. It remains to be seen, but I'm feeling good about my Lakers right now. I'm feeling confident. I I feel like it's a good basketball team. Um, I I love Dennis Schroeder. I feel like Schroeder should get more minutes. The biggest thing I question about the Lakers is Darvin Ham and some some of his rotations. And playing certain guys more minutes than I feel like they should get, but it remains to be seen. Uh, that's something that can be fixed. That can be worked on. That's a, that's an easy fix. I hope I'm right because um, I love seeing the Lakers go far. And I love seeing the Lakers win. Moving on to another first round Western Conference playoff series. I'm just gonna go ahead and get this out the way. Denver and Minnesota. I don't think anyone outside of Denver and Minnesota gives two shits, a rat's ass, or a flying fuck about this series. There's always one, sometimes two, 
first round NBA playoff series that no one, as far as national mainstream attention, really gives a fuck about. And this is the series. There's always that first round NBA playoff series where like half the games are played on NBA TV because they know the league itself knows no one is going to watch this shit. Charles Barkley of Inside the NBA on TNT flat out said that he was more concerned, he was more interested with the NHL playoffs being shown on TNT's sister network, TBS, than he was with Minnesota and Denver. He gets paid to watch and talk about these games for a living. He flat out said that he was watching hockey in the middle of this game. You know what, Charles? I don't blame you. This is one time I'll back up Charles Barkley. I don't blame you. I also have little to no interest in this series. I don't care. To me, it's a foregone conclusion. Denver is going to win. Now, they lost last night in game four. They had an opportunity for a sweep. And, you know, give Minnesota credit. All right, it shows some resolve, some resiliency, some testicular fortitude at home in front of their, their crowd in Minnesota. And they were able to stave off elimination, at least for one game, and beat the Denver Nuggets last night, even though I watched the fourth quarter of this game. Because truthfully, I didn't watch the majority of the game either. I was playing Madden, all right? I got bored. I've been watching basketball all day, all weekend. I said, I got to give myself a break. I, got to, I need a timeout. I need a 30-second timeout. I can't wait for the media timeout at eight minutes. I got to take a timeout right now. All right, the opposing team is going on a 15-to-1 run. I need a timeout right now. So I took a timeout, and I played Madden, and then I got done playing that, and I went back to watching basketball, watched the fourth quarter, and I'm like, okay, Minnesota's doing pretty good. They got a lead. As a matter of fact, with two and a half minutes to go, they're up 96-84. to 84. You have a 12-point lead at home, and they somehow figured out a way to blow it. Denver comes back and forces overtime because Minnesota doesn't even know how to win. Every time I watch Minnesota play, they do boneheaded, idiotic, dumbass, nonsensical, stupid shit every time I watch them play. They squander leads, ill-advised, unforced errors, turnovers, bad shots, all of that, a whole gumbo of stupid basketball is consistently played by the Minnesota Timberwolves and it was on full display last night. Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns are the poster childs for soft, light-skinned basketball. Can't stand either one of them. Anthony Edwards, on the other hand, now that's a basketball player. I respect him. I appreciate him. 21 years old, and to me, he's already a little bit ahead of schedule. He's one of the best Young players in the NBA, one of the best players under the age of 25. And I look at a guy like him as being the future, one of the guys that can be the future of the NBA once he uh, leaves Minnesota. Because you know, you know that's going to happen. It's inevitable. A guy like him, of his, of his talent and ability, he, he's not staying in Minnesota. Small markets like that, it's, it's difficult to win because you can draft a very good player, but... If you don't surround that guy with a championship caliber team within like four years, that guy's going to take off. He's going to go to a bigger market and cash in and make more money. It is what it is. I know fans of small market teams get upset about that, but that's reality. I remember during the 2011 lockout, you know, the, the crux of the matter, the, the major point of contention was the small market teams, the owners of the small market teams were upset about their teams pretty much functioning 
as a feeder system, as a minor league, a professional G League team to basically draft young players, groom and develop them, and then those players are going to leave and go to a major market, to a bigger city. I hate to break it to people, but that's kind of how the NBA's always functioned. The NBA's always been like that. There's two teams in the NBA that have combined for 33 championships of the 76-year history of the National Basketball Association. Two teams have combined to win 33 championships. Guess where they play at? Boston and Los Angeles. They don't play in New Orleans. They don't play in Sacramento. They don't play in Denver. They don't play in Minnesota. They don't play in Orlando. Boston and Los Angeles. The NBA is, was, and always will be about big cities and major markets. New York, Chicago, Boston, Los Angeles, Miami. That's it. That's pretty much what it comes down to. A team like San Antonio can slide in and win five championships because they got lucky. They drafted a low-key, understated, regular dude who just so happens to be supremely talented at playing basketball. An extraordinary basketball player in Tim Duncan who doesn't even seek attention or the spotlight, doesn't even care, doesn't want it at all. All he, all he wants to do is play basketball. Unfortunately for the small market teams, there's not any more Tim Duncans running around here. So when I say that Anthony Edwards will eventually leave Minnesota, I believe that. He'll go play somewhere else, uh, hopefully in purple and gold one day. I would love to see that. But yeah, Minnesota won last night. They held on in overtime. Mike Conley made some plays. Anthony Edwards down the stretch carried the water for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And now we got game five in Denver, where it's more than likely going to get closed out. Denver is the better and superior basketball team. They should have closed the deal last night, but they didn't. But we're going back to Denver with the Nuggets up three games to one, and they will more than likely advance to the second round of the NBA playoffs. And it's looking more and more apparent that their competition in the next round will be the Phoenix Suns. With all due respect and apologies to that other basketball team in Los Angeles, the Clippers, it's almost time for Cancun. It's almost time to make reservations. It's almost time to set up a tea time and get ready for 18 holes of golf. Your season is about to come to an end, and it's very unfortunate. Uh, as stated earlier, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, the two best players on the Clippers, injured Unable to perform, PG got hurt in the regular season, hyperextended right knee. There was hope and some optimism that maybe if the Clippers can get out the first round, they can get PG back for the rest of the playoffs. It's not going to happen. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, dominant in game one. Jesus Christ, on both sides of the court. Kawhi Leonard is a top 75 player in the NBA. Deservedly so. Rightfully so. He belongs. One of the best basketball players I've ever seen. My second favorite player currently active, second only to Wardell Stephen Curry. I love Kawhi Leonard. I love his game. I love his demeanor. I love his approach. I love the way he plays basketball. He has a mid-range game. He also has a bag. He has moves. He has a repertoire. He has an arsenal of shit he can go to to score points and get buckets and he's also a menace defensively, a former defensive player of the year. He can lock up some of the best players in the NBA whenever he's healthy. And that's the problem. 
A lot of controversy about this. Kawhi Leonard got shut down pretty much after game two. Did not play in game three. Did not play in game four. Right knee soreness. The same knee that he had operated on about 15 months ago for a torn ACL is now starting to act up on him again. And to me, it's sad. To me, it's very sad. I'm crestfallen. I'm melancholy. I'm despondent about Kawhi Leonard being injured. I've seen a lot of folks online, and quite frankly, I find it very disgusting, ridiculing Kawhi Leonard. They seem to be happy about this guy being injured, being unable to compete. A lot of people, in a very derisive way, are mocking the load management that took place during the season where Kawhi was intentionally sat down in an effort to preserve his body for the playoffs. And now we get to the playoffs, and he's broken down again, can't play, injured, and his team is probably going to be eliminated in the first round. They're down 3-1 and going up against a team that has four all-star caliber players, two surefire first ballot Naismith Hall of Fame players and CP3 and Kevin Durant. Devin Booker, a guy who has Hall of Fame talent and is currently on a Hall of Fame trajectory. And DeAndre Ayton's a very good player too. So Phoenix has exponentially more firepower. The Clippers have found themselves in a position where they are dependent on Norman Powell to score 42 points, as he did in Game 4, but it's not enough. Russell Westbrook, another guy heavily maligned and criticized for a long time. That experiment with the Lakers did not work. I knew it was not going to work because he and LeBron can't play together. They're both ball-dominant players. They both need the basketball in their hands to be productive. Well, if you're Russell Westbrook, you're not going to get the ball from LeBron. LeBron is the offense. LeBron is the focal point. You have to now become an off-ball player. Westbrook's skill set is not conducive to doing that. He's not a great perimeter jump shooter. He's not a guy who's going to come off a screen and catch and shoot. You're not going to set a pin down for, for Russell Westbrook and he's going to roll off that screen and catch and shoot for an elbow three. It's not going to happen. If it does, pray for him. Good luck. But it was a bad fit. Now, with the Clippers, Westbrook has found himself and has reestablished himself and is, is proven something. A lot of people wrote him off. A lot of people said, is Westbrook even an NBA caliber player anymore? To me, it was about the fit. To me, it was about being in a bad situation for him. Now, with the Clippers, he can flourish. He can thrive because he can play with the basketball in his hands. Kawhi Leonard, when healthy, can play either or. He can play with the ball or without the ball. He can come off a screen and catch and shoot. He can operate in the mid-range or the post. He doesn't need to dribble the air out the ball and survey the defense and figure out what he wants to do like LeBron does. So Westbrook has had more success with the Clippers. It's unfortunate, though, that Kawhi and PG are both injured and unable to participate. Westbrook, give him all the credit. Give Russell Westbrook his flowers. He's played outstanding basketball in this series, but it's going to be all for naught. It's not enough. I mean, game one, not a great night shooting the basketball. Missed a lot of shots, but rebounding and assist and tempo and facilitating the offense and just being a, a, a pest, being a menace out there. 
he was awesome, and the Clippers won that game. And he's had back-to-back 30-point performances in games three and four at home at Staples Center, but you don't have enough. You got Norman Powell. You got Eric Gordon, no relation. You got Zubach. You don't have enough. The Suns got more than you do. Look how easy it is for Devin Booker to score points because you got Kevin Durant now. KD takes up the majority of the defense's attention. He's the focal point. The onus is going to be on him. The focus is going to be on him. So if you're Devin Booker, you got one-on-ones now. You could easily exploit that. KD's being double-teamed the majority of the time. D-Book, out there playing one-on-one. CP3 resurrected himself in games three and four. I thought going back to games one and two, I don't think CP and really throughout the entire regular season, there's a lot of times where Chris Paul looked his age. He looked 38 or really not even 38. He looked 58. He looked old. He looked prehistoric. He looked geriatric for the majority of the season. And that bled into games one and two. But in games three and four, We saw the Chris Paul we've come to know and love over the years. He's playing great basketball, very good basketball, I should say, uh, in games three and four. And that series is going back to Phoenix, and Phoenix should close that out in game five and move on to the next round and play the Denver Nuggets. It's just, overall, it's unfortunate. I feel bad for Kawhi. I feel bad for Paul George. Um, I think basketball fans have been deprived of seeing what that could have potentially become. Having Kawhi Leonard and Paul George as teammates, that whole thing went down in 2019, and there's nothing to show for it. Let's be honest. Let's be transparent. There's nothing to show for it. Zero NBA Finals appearances. One conference final appearance in 2021 against these same Phoenix Suns, and they lost that. And Kawhi Leonard got hurt. In that semifinal round against Utah, he tore his ACL in that series. Kawhi Leonard didn't even play in that Western Conference final versus Phoenix in 2021. 2020 in the bubble, everyone thought it was going to be Clippers and Lakers. The Lakers got there. The Clippers didn't. They got upset. They got beaten on the way to the conference finals. This whole thing with the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, this whole era of Clippers basketball has been a failure, has been an unmitigated disaster. They've underachieved. The only team in the league that's worse than them, the only failure bigger than the Clippers, Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Nets, who also went out and got an assortment of upper echelon Hall of Fame star players, tried to build a super team and it didn't work. You bring in Kevin Durant, you bring in Kyrie Irving, you bring in James Harden, and then later on you bring in the scattered remains, the corpse of Ben Simmons, and it doesn't work. Brooklyn just got swept for the second consecutive year in the first round. They're a failure. They're a joke, a complete disaster, a waste of time, a waste of energy. The only thing on par with that, the Clippers. It hasn't worked. You have all this talent Star players, two of the best two-way players in the NBA. You know what? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, there might be something to that Clipper curse. Look at the history of the franchise since they've been in Los Angeles, since they've been the redheaded stepchild of basketball in the City of Angels. They've never won anything. They've never come close. 
They've never sniffed an NBA championship. The first time and only time they even got to the Western Conference Finals was the aforementioned 2021 Western Conference Finals, and they lost in five games. Every time they do have a good team, they get derailed by injuries. You think about those Clipper teams in the late 2000s when they had uh, you know, Chris Kamen at center and Corey Maggette and Quentin Richardson and Sean Livingston and Elton Brand, Sam Cassell. Pretty good basketball team. And then Sean Livingston's knee exploded. A couple years later, they got a number one pick, got a lottery pick, and they used that pick to bring in Blake Griffin from the University of Oklahoma. And now you put together that Lob City era of the Clippers, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, J.J. Redick, Jamal Crawford, you know, very fun team to watch up and down the court. They, they were called Lob City for a reason. A lot of alley-oops, a lot of spectacular plays, a lot of dunks, not a whole lot of championships. As a matter of fact, none, zero, never even came close. Injuries always fucked them up, or they would run into a team that was simply better than them. They had a 3-1 lead one year in the conference final versus Houston and blew that lead. You let James Harden, a consistent perennial playoff failure, overcome a 3-1 deficit against you? That means you're a joke. That means you are cursed as a franchise, and now this current iteration of the L.A. Clippers, nothing to show for it. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and, you know, they've always had deep rosters, too. You think about both Morris brothers. You think about Eric Gordon. You think about Nicholas Batum, Reggie Jackson, Patrick Beverly. They've been a good basketball team. They've had a roster on paper the past couple years that you can look at and you can say that team should have won a championship. They brought in John Wall before the season started. That didn't work out. You bring in another off-injured star player, or at least a guy that used to be a star player until his body shut down and gave up and betrayed him. It's sad. It sucks if you're a Clippers fan. If you're a basketball fan, it sucks. I I wanted to see Kawhi Leonard and Paul George play meaningful basketball into May and June. I I wanted to see a conference final A battle of Los Angeles, Clippers and Lakers, same building, no travel, no excuses, no bullshit. Clippers and Lakers, let's go. Let's settle this. Who's better in a one-on-one environment? Kawhi or LeBron James? PG versus Anthony Davis. The bench player is going at it. Darvin Ham and Ty Lue. That's what I was looking for for the past couple years. It never happened. Never will happen. Certainly not going to happen this year. Yeah, if you're the Clippers, if you're a Clipper fan, eh, you know, there's always plenty of of space and room on that purple and gold bandwagon. You already live in Los Angeles. You don't even have to travel that far. It's the same arena. I mean, I know the Clippers are building their own arena right now in Inglewood, but still currently right now, you share the Staples Center, correct and proper name, you share the Staples Center with the Lakers already. Just go ahead and cross over. Nobody's going to be mad. Nobody's going to blame you. Nobody's going to shit on you. It is what it is, man. I would much rather be a Laker fan than a Clippers fan, especially if I lived in Los Angeles. Why, why are you even a Clippers fan in the first place? 
What inspired you? What motivated you? How did you even become a Clippers fan? What great moment in Clippers history did you witness growing up as a Clippers fan that facilitated you becoming a Clippers fan? Doesn't make any sense to me. Stop rooting for losers. Anyway, via con Dios, go with God. Los Angeles Clippers, it sucks. It's sad. It really is. And the people who made fun of Kawhi for getting hurt, fuck you. This is a, a high-level, high-class, top-shelf athlete who unfortunately is physically breaking down before our eyes. And people take the turn, the opportunity to make fun of him, to ridicule him, as if he has control over his body breaking down. He tried. He and the, and the team itself tried to preserve his body for this time of the season. It just didn't happen. It didn't work out. It's unfortunate. But one thing I'll never do is ridicule an athlete for getting hurt. Because to me, that's, that's the lowest of the low. That's just shitty. If you're that kind of person, fuck you. As I said, you're a piece of shit. You're a douchebag, a cocksucker, a jabroni, a lowlife scumbag. All the above. You suck at life if you make fun of and ridicule professional athletes for getting hurt. Trust and believe the last thing any pro athlete wants to do is get hurt. I've seen people online saying that Kawhi is faking it. Kawhi's ducking the fade. Kawhi just doesn't want to play. Are you serious? Did you not see the way this guy was killing these people in game one? And even game two, he had 28 points. You know, he played well the first two games of the series. He was playing in a very, he was the best player on the floor for either team. And we're talking about Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, all being on the court together. And Kawhi Leonard was the best player out the whole bunch. But all of a sudden, after being dominant in game one and very good in game two, Kawhi Leonard woke up one morning and said, you know what? I don't want to play anymore, man. I'm done. I'm good. I'm going to hold out till next season. What sense does that make? People would just say things completely ridiculous moving on to what was and what is my personal favorite first round NBA playoff matchup I knew this was going to be good I knew this series was going to be awesome I knew this series was going to be high level top shelf basketball being played this series Sacramento versus Golden State is that 1942 Don Julio and Yeho Tequila, we not fucking around with that cheap shit, all right? Denver and Minnesota, that's Patron. That's that, that cheap-ass garbage, that overrated bullshit. That's that Casamigos, all right? We not, we not fucking with that. This series, Warriors, Kings, Golden State, Sacramento, 1942 Don Julio and Yeho, the good shit. Quality basketball being played, compelling storylines, the young upstart Sacramento Kings making the playoffs for the first time since they had Chris Webber and Mike Bibby in uniform. That's a long time ago, man. I was in high school the last time the Sacramento Kings made the playoffs. I'm currently 38 years old. It's been a while since Sacramento got this far. Light the beam in Sacramento. Light the beam, right? Hey, I'm, I'm happy for them. Good for them. I love seeing teams come out of nowhere and make something out of themselves, build their team up organically, draft, 
correctly, appropriately, get quality basketball players, groom and develop them, improve on a year-to-year basis, and find themselves in the playoffs playing at a very high level. The number three seed in the NBA Western Conference, the highest scoring team in the NBA, De'Aaron Fox. This is the biggest reason I'm happy that Sacramento has made it this far, is playing on the public national stage, playing games on TNT and ABC for the first time all season, for the first time in a long time. You get Sacramento playing on national television and the entire country gets to bear witness to the excellence that is the Aaron Fox one of the best players in the NBA, but nobody knew who he was. The last time people saw him play was in college at the University of Kentucky. Nobody watches Kings games unless you live in Sacramento. Darren Fox been out there his whole career playing in the wilderness, playing in relative obscurity, anonymity. Who the fuck cares about the Sacramento Kings? Well, they do now because they got a good basketball team, and they're going up against your reigning, conquering, defending NBA World Heavyweight Champion Golden State Warriors. Everyone knows who they are. They're always on TV. They've been on the public national TV stage for almost a decade now. Steph Curry got about 14 different commercials right now. People know who Klay Thompson is. People definitely know who Draymond Green is. Steve Kerr, the head coach, More people know Bob Myers, the president and GM of basketball operations for the Golden State Warriors. More people know about him than they do the entire Sacramento Kings roster. Joe Lacob, the owner of the Warriors, same thing. More people have seen him on television the past 10 years than they have any player on the Sacramento Kings. That all changes now. Sacramento is here. Series tied at two, fun, competitive basketball, spirited basketball. These two teams don't like each other. They play in the same area of the country. Now, Sacramento is not technically the Bay Area, all right? I lived in in the Bay Area for six years. I can tell you that a lot of locals out there will take umbrage with the notion that Sacramento is a part of the California Bay Area. It is not. You cannot reach Sacramento on public transportation. Bart's. Bay Area Rapid Transit does not connect to Sacramento. Therefore, you are not a part of the California Bay Area. But close proximity nonetheless. Don't need to get on a plane, a bus ride, a car ride, motorcycle. You can walk there if you want to. This is a great series for so many reasons. Games 1 and 2, Sacramento. Home team, they won the game. Games 3 and 4 at the Chase Center in San Francisco, Golden State comes out victorious. Now, it also has to be mentioned the controversy that took place in Game 2 where Draymond Green did the A-Town stomp on Domitas Sabonis' chest. This was after Domitas Sabonis had Draymond Green in the Kurt Angle, Ken Shamrock ankle lock submission hold. Draymond falling forward, tries to protect himself, and in the process puts his size 16 shoe across the chest of Domitas Sabonis. Draymond gets ejected. Golden State had the lead at that juncture of the game. And then Sacramento goes on a run. They win the game, go up two games to zero. And Draymond was suspended for game three. 
Golden State wins the game anyway, even without Draymond Green. A lot of people will say, well, they play better without Draymond. The offense moves better. Uh, there's more floor spacing. The offense flows better. Uh, Kevon Looney stepped up in game three. Two points, but 20 rebounds and about seven assists. Hustle plays and defense. He was amazing. Andrew Wiggins is back now for Golden State. Steph Curry, self-explanatory. The most must-see, the most box office basketball player I've seen since Kobe Bryant, the late great Kobe Bryant, or Michael Jordan. He's in that, he's in that ilk. He's in that 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 class. That pantheon of just exciting, scintillating, sensational, super awesome, compelling basketball players that you make an appointment to sit down and watch. I couldn't wait for that Warriors game yesterday. I'm a Laker fan, but I love watching Golden State play. As I said earlier, they play basketball the way it's supposed to be played. It's basketball nirvana. I got a brother that coaches AAU basketball. Every time the Warriors are about to play, I text him. I send him a message. I say, hey, bro, are you watching the Warriors game right now? There's a lot that you can learn as a basketball coach, as a young, up-and-coming, developing, ascending basketball coach. There's a lot for you to learn from watching Golden State and Sacramento. Remember, Sacramento's head coach is Mike Brown, formerly an assistant coach under Steve Kerr in Golden State. They run the same system. They run the same plays, the same shit. So I, I always tell my brother, watch these games. He doesn't watch a lot of basketball. It's crazy to me. He coaches basketball, but doesn't watch a lot of basketball. But I always tell him, every time Golden State plays, watch and just learn and take some things away from what they do and implement that into what you're doing coaching on the AAU level. But I digress. This series is awesome. Game four, one of the best basketball games I ever seen. 126-125 Golden State. I mean, these are two of the highest scoring teams in the NBA, and you're going to get games like that. I've enjoyed during the postseason seeing real basketball being played, seeing defense being at the forefront, not seeing games that finish with a final score of 151 to 147 in 48 minutes of regulation basketball. That's garbage. That's not basketball. In the playoffs... Intensity, defense, attention to detail, efforts is all there on full display. And you're seeing it in this series. Even though both teams are scoring a lot of points, it's because they're so talented and so exceptional offensively. And they got so many weapons and so many guys that can get buckets, that can score. De'Aaron Fox wore Golden State out in that first half in game four. Give credit to Steve Kerr. Halftime adjustments were made. At halftime, Sacramento had 69 points at halftime of this game. Steve Kerr said, fuck it. De'Aaron Fox is kicking our ass right now. So we're going to put Draymond Green on De'Aaron Fox. It worked. To me, Draymond was the player of the game yesterday. Defensively, Draymond held Kings players to 5 of 16 from the field whenever Draymond was the primary defender in the second half. He held De'Aaron Fox to 2 for 7 from the field as his primary defender. He had several key blocks and steals late in the game. There was a play where Sabonis had the ball going to the basket, and Draymond stepped in front, made a steal, and at the same time was able to save the basketball from going out of bounds and maintain possession for Golden State. 
little things like that, he was awesome. He came off the bench um, and was, you know, give him credit for that. A lot of people got a lot of things to say about Draymond Green. In the post game, he said that he himself went to Steve Kerr and said, what do you think about me coming off the bench? Steve Kerr said he was already thinking about it. He was already considering doing that anyway. Draymond comes in off the bench. A minute later, gets a technical foul. That was hilarious. But he stayed in the game, did not get ejected, didn't let his emotions get the better of him like he did, like he has so many times before. Stays in the game. Outstanding defensively. He was aggressive offensively early in the game when he first checked in. He was great. I know Steph had 32, and Steph is Steph. Steph has scored eight or more points in the fourth quarter of all four games in this series. He's Steph Curry, one of the top five players in the NBA, greatest shooter of all time, box office, most must-see player of all time, worth the price of admission out there at the Chase Center. I could tell you from firsthand experience, that admission costs a lot. It costs a grip to go watch the Golden State Warriors play basketball, whether it be Oakland or San Francisco, it doesn't matter. But a lot of that has to do with Steph Curry and the overall team success, but Steph is worth it. Steph has earned all of that. With all that being said, Draymond to me has always been the glue in the middle of everything. Yeah, you got Steph. Yeah, you got Clay. You had KD a couple years ago. You had Andrew Wiggins the past two years. Great basketball players, but to me, Draymond is the straw that stirs the drink. He's the guy who has those intangibles, those, those things that you can't teach that don't always show up in the box score. His presence was felt yesterday. He brings the ball up. He takes pressure off of Steph in that regard. Draymond really is the true point guard of that team. Draymond facilitates the offense, gets guys in their proper sets, He's the quarterback of the offense. When you really think about it, what he's able to do, facilitating the offense and then defensively, to me, his value is you really can't define it. Draymond is one of those guys that you got to actually watch the game to understand his effect on the game and everything he brings to the table. You really got to sit down. I know this is revolutionary. I know this is a hard concept for a lot of people, but you really do have to sit down and wait for it. Are you ready for this? Watch the game, and then you'll see what Draymond brings to the table. I think coming off the bench is better for him, though, um, to be honest, because you go back to last year in the NBA Finals against Boston, that same adjustment was made to bring Draymond off the bench, and that's when the whole sh the whole dynamic and momentum of the series shifted, and Golden State goes on to win their fourth championship with this current version, the current iteration of the Golden State Warriors with Steph and Clay and Draymond, Steve Kerr, all that shit. I'm a Draymond Green fan. All right, I'll go ahead and say that on record. I'm I'm always been I've always been a fan of Draymond because of what he does. I, I love his demeanor. As I said earlier, I'm a wrestling fan. I like guys that got personality, who are boisterous, outgoing, charismatic, talk a lot of shit. Draymond Green, unlike Dylan Brooks, most of the time backs it up because of his impact and effect on the basketball game. And I thought in game four yesterday, especially defensively, 
he was outstanding. And one of, in my opinion, the biggest reason they were able to win that game yesterday. You look at the numbers in the third quarter. Golden State, throughout this entire run of excellence and dominance over the NBA, has, has been known for several things. One thing they've been known for is third quarter excellence, and you saw that yesterday. As I said, Sacramento had 69 points at halftime. Third quarter, they scored 23 points on 7 of 29 shooting, 2 for 7 from 3, 7 rebounds, 4 assists. Golden State, on the other hand, 37 points in the third quarter, 13 to 24, only three for 10 from three, but still you put 37 points on the board in one quarter. That's your game right there. That flipped the entire game. Now they almost lost it. They almost choked it away late down the stretch. Steph Curry, we got to be, we got to be transparent here on the Deion Gordon podcast. We got to be honest. We got to call it like we see it. Steph Curry had a brain fart. Steph Curry had a had a lapse in judgment. He almost gave the game away late in that game. Kevon Looney had committed an offensive foul with about two and a half minutes to go. Steve Kerr decides to challenge that offensive foul call. The challenge was later deemed unsuccessful. So in the process of that, Golden State loses a timeout. Late in the game, Curry has the ball in his hands. He's being double teamed. And I guess it wasn't communicated to him that we no longer have any timeouts or he just forgot or didn't know. But he has a Chris Webber moment at the University of Michigan versus North Carolina in the 1993 National Championship game. Steph Curry calls a timeout he didn't have. Technical foul shot from the free throw line and possession for Sacramento. So it comes down, it's 126 to 125 late in the game. Sacramento has a chance to win it. Harrison Barnes, formerly of the Golden State Warriors, misses what would have been the go-ahead game-winning three at the buzzer. It clanks off the back iron, and we're tied at two games apiece. Sacramento and Golden State rolling into game five on Wednesday night. I fully expect this series to go to full seven games. I think a lot of people do. A lot of people see Sacramento and Golden State going the distance. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Golden State all season long has been abysmal on the road. Sacramento, that Golden One Center, light the beam and all that shit. Trust and believe that's going to be a raucous and passionate and very energetic scene in Sacramento on Wednesday night. That crowd is going to be into it. They were into it in game one and game two. And game five, I expect no different. I can't wait to see it. This series has been everything so far. And it's going seven games. Um, I'd be shocked if it didn't go seven. I think Golden State wins it in seven. I can see that happening. I can see Golden State. I can see them getting blown out in game five. Come back and win game six at home and then win their first road game of the series in game seven because experience is going to take over at some point we saw that in games three and four in san francisco uh sacramento similar to minnesota poor shot selection ill-advised turnovers 
just overall stupid basketball being played by a young, inexperienced team that has not been here before. They're not accustomed to being on this stage, whereas Golden State, they've been here before. This ain't new. This is not their first rodeo. This is par for the course. Been there and done that. Championship pedigree. And that was on full display up until Steph Curry's boneheaded decision to call timeout when he didn't have any. But before that, Golden State was the more experienced team, and it looked like it. It showed. They played poised under pressure. They played good team basketball. They didn't get flustered or flummoxed. I mean, early in the game, in the, second, in the first half, they were down by as much as nine points. It looked like it could get out of control. It could slip away. But they stayed composed. They made a run. They made the game close. They stayed within scoring distance of Sacramento. Never let it get away from them and went on to win the game by one point by the skin of their teeth, by the hair on their chinny chin chin. But a win is a win, whether it's by one or by 40. It doesn't matter. It's still a win. And we're tied. And I can't wait for game five. I can't wait to see how everything plays out. Uh, currently in the background right now, I got Miami and Milwaukee on TV. Like I said earlier, I'll talk about the Eastern Conference on the very next podcast. Um, there's so much to talk about, man. I never get tired of talking sports. <laughs> like never under any circumstances. I don't care what's going on. I'll talk football, basketball, baseball, boxing, MMA, hockey, WWE, AEW. I don't care. I'll talk sports all day, every day, twice on Sunday. I never get tired of talking about sports. So much to talk about. Uh, Aaron Rodgers got traded today. How about that? A podcast coming on that soon this week. With all that being said... This concludes this particular episode of the Dion Gordon Podcast. Eternally grateful, always humble, very much appreciative. Until next time. Oh, I almost forgot, almost slipped my mind. Dylan Brooks, sir, if you're listening, please take this advice with you going forward. The next time you want to call out an all-time great, legendary top three NBA player of all time, remember this piece of advice. Tread lightly like a woodpecker with a headache. Picture me rolling. I'm out.